The LDP's second decisive victory further boosts Abe's already interesting place in Japanese political history. When Abe briefly became Prime Minister in 2006 for only one year, he was the first Prime Minister to have been born after the Second World War. When Abe became Prime Minister for the second time in 2012, he was the first Prime Minister to serve non consecutive terms since the end of the US occupation of Japan in 1952. In the last 40 years, only two outstanding Japanese leaders broke the prevailing pattern of brief Prime Ministerships by staying in office for roughly five years. They were Yasuhiro Nakazone. And Junichiro Koizumi, both of whom led the ruling Liberal Democratic Party to win landslide election victories before finally retiring from office. Now, Abe has gone one better than Nakasone and Koizumi by winning two landslides, not just one. And he has only been in office for three years. It is too soon for him to think of retiring. So now an intriguing possibility arises. Will Abe further distinguish himself by also serving longer than both his grandfather and his great uncle? Mainly because most Japanese prime ministerships cannot be reckoned in terms of many years, their length is normally remembered in terms of days. Measured by this yardstick, Nakasone was prime minister for 1,805 days, while Koizumi led the government for 1,979 days. Initially, Abe was prime minister for exactly 365 days, from September 2006 to September 2007. But by the time he is formally reappointed prime minister, Following this snap election, by a parliamentary vote at the end of this month, he will have been Prime Minister for two more years. So Abe has so far led Japan for 1,092 days in all. But Abe, unlike Nakasone or Koizumi, is now unlikely to limit himself to just five years in office. Instead, after this latest election victory, he can be almost certain of at least four more years as LDP leader and Prime Minister, or roughly 2,550 days in office altogether. That would mean that Abe will soon overtake his grandfather on his mother's side, the controversial Prime Minister Nobusuke Kishi, who was Prime Minister for 1,240 days from 1957 to 1960. Kishi's leadership was cut short mainly because of the massive leftist riots against the renewal of the US Japan Security Treaty, the passage of which Kishi had rammed through the Diet. We will return to this line of thought later. But immediately, how did Abe's gamble with a snap election pay off? What was the extent of the landslide this time in favour of the ruling Liberal Democratic Party? Usually, a landslide in favour of a political party leads to substantial losses in a subsequent election, even if the same party wins it. This election was unique, 
Essentially, one landslide was replaced by another of almost equal proportions. Thus, the LDP held 295 seats in the dissolved parliament. In the recent election, it won 291, having lost four seats. Its coalition partner, the new Komeito party, had 31 seats in the dissolved diet and won four extra seats to win 35 in the snap election. So the ruling coalition had 326 out of 480 in the previous House of Representatives, and now it has 326 seats out of 475 seats today in the new one. Since the size of the new House of Representatives has been reduced by five seats, this landslide is slightly larger than the previous one. After the snap election, Abe was quick to point out that the LDP won by attracting a million more votes in this election than in its 2012 landslide. Critics, on the other hand, were equally quick to emphasise that the voter turnout this year at 52.6% was the lowest ever in Japanese democratic history and that, ironically, the LDP actually won more votes when it was trounced by the Democratic Party of Japan, the DPJ, during its landslide in 2009. The hard fact remains that it is seats won, not total votes, which count in parliamentary democracy. The LDP-NKP coalition won this recent election because the two parties had more hardcore supporters than the opposition parties, plus the political machinery on the ground able to make sure that those hardcore supporters turned out to vote. The DPJ, by contrast, has still not yet recovered from its severe defeat in 2012 when it lost 173 of the 306 seats it had won in 2009 landslide. It remains the largest single opposition party, increasing its seats from 62 to 73. But even if all of its candidates had won their seats on this occasion, it would still have been unable to form a government because there just weren't enough of them. The DPJ just wasn't ready for another election. Its leader, Banri Kaida, lost his seat and has since resigned as DPJ party president. None of the smaller political parties emerged from their relative insignificance. The only one that may yet do so is the Ishinoto, the Japan Innovation Party, the JIP, formerly the Japan Restoration Party. Interesting because it is the only political party registered in Osaka rather than Tokyo. Ishin lost one seat but still retained 41, largely because it secured a respectable 8.4 million votes in the proportional representation section of the voting. The only other party to previously show some promise, the Party for Future Generations, Jisidai, was reduced from 20 to two seats, with its star turn, the ageing former Tokyo governor, Shintaro Ishihara, failing to win a seat. One other electoral development needs to be noted, the surge in support for the Japan Communist Party, Kiyosanto, from eight to 21 members, 
Only one communist was returned from a constituency, but 20 were elected from the proportional representation section. It is hard not to see this development as an insurance policy taken out by the Japanese left. For if Prime Minister Abe decides to try and amend the pacifism of the Japanese constitution, as he sometimes hints he may, the JCP can be counted on to swell the ranks of ardent leftist demonstrators. Now, at this point in post-election analysis on Reflections from Asia, I like to be able to play some sound from the principal political players. With Abbey, that is not so easy. Very few RTHK listeners speak Japanese. I certainly don't. On the few occasions when Abe speaks in English, it tends to be stilted. And he hasn't done a major English interview lately. But then I came across the best combination, an interview by two London Economist editors in which Abe spoke in Japanese, which was then carefully translated into English and made available on the Economist website, though not in the magazine, on December the 5th. Here are some extracts. What came across first was Abe's sense of urgency. Abe. We don't have much time. That's how I see it. The world is moving fast in the context of a globalized economy. In East Asia, China is indeed rising, and many other countries around the world are trying to up their competitiveness. In that context, two years ago, Japan's competitive position looked lost. Japan was about to fall off the world stage. Fertility rates are falling and our population is aging. We are now seeing the absolute level of our population actually shrinking. That's a very big challenge. And meanwhile, Japan is confronted with a huge national debt. As I see it, Japan has to catch up, moving at the speed of the world, which is to say, very fast. And so we needed to speed up our reform of Japan as well. Abe is then asked if he sees foreign and domestic policy as part of the same package. Abe. Well, from the time of my birth to when I reached my thirties, Japan was in its prime in terms of economic strength, growing very robustly. And with that background, Japan's showing in the world was growing too. At the time, I thought this good trend would continue for a very long time to come, and I also thought that Japan would be a country of much greater importance to the world. But it didn't turn out like that, because of the last 20 years, we've stagnated. During that time, we've seen the emergence of other strong global players, and so there is no way that we can separate our domestic politics from our diplomacy. We have to have a strong economy to have a strong diplomacy. Has China's growth been at the expense of Japan? Abe. Between the end of my first government in 2007 and my return at the end of 2012, what happened was that China overtook Japan in terms of GDP. Well, that was not due to China. It was due to Japan, I would say. Had Japan successfully overcome deflation, for example, having a real growth rate of 3% and inflation of 1%, then we would have had nominal GDP growth of 4% for 20 years. I mean, Japan would not have been overtaken by China. 
Well, anyway, China is a very young country economically. They were bound to overtake Japan in terms of GDP eventually. But we are not here to envy China's growth or to look at their growth as a curse to Japan. No way. This should be taken as an opportunity for Japan to harness China's growth. The Economist. How does Abe view his grandfather, former Prime Minister Nobusuke Kishi? Abe. What is right will not necessarily win majority support. As you described, my grandfather, Nobusuke Kishi, went ahead in the face of huge opposition with Japan's security pact with the United States. He believed strongly that the treaty would benefit stability and peace for the world as well as ensure economic prosperity for the world and Japan. At that time, opposition to the treaty was very great, coming from the student movement as well as from mass media. But my grandfather achieved what he intended to achieve, and right now most people hugely respect him for what he did. And in terms of the economic policy that I have been pursuing in regards to the monetary easing launched two years ago, I might add that everyone opposed it too. The Economist editors comment that the expression on President Xi Jinping's face when he met Abe in Beijing at the APEC conference was extraordinary. It was as if there was a foul smell in the room. And they ask Abe, what was his reaction? Abe. Well, my basic stance whenever I greet anyone is always to make sure that I have a smile on my face and, as host, to shake hands with my guest. But each leader has his own background, connected to their home situation. So when I met President Xi, even though his expression was like what you say, I could understand why he wore it. The second time around, I'm sure we can be more charming towards each other. Lastly, Abe is asked about the future. Next year, I would like to make it clear for Japan to become more assertive in the region, to show Japan as a peace-loving country willing to contribute further in every material way to the rest of the world.